1: Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Professional AF is brought to you by SendPro Online. Don't waste any more time waiting in line to send mail and packages. Avoid any confusion around finding the best postal rates for your business. With SendPro Online from Pitney Bowes, you can send packages and mail without leaving your office. Right from your desk for as low as $4.99 a month.
2: You know, the people who listen to this podcast have never heard the story about you waiting in line at the post office.
1: <laughs> you mean uh, why I'm no longer allowed to go to the post office and why I have to find alternative means to send packages like send pro online? Yes, that one. <laughs> well... I don't know if I'm going to share that story. And for being a professional AF listener, you'll receive a free 30-day trial to get started. As an added bonus, you'll also receive a free 10-pound scale shipped right to your door to help you accurately weigh your packages. Starting only at $4.99 a month, you can print shipping labels and stamps right from your own printer, easily compare rates using their online software, gain access to special USPS savings for letters and priority mail shipping, and track all your shipments and get email notifications when they have arrived.
2: You got to tell the story now because people think that you like stole something.
1: No, no, no. (laughs) I threw up at the post office in a royal way and you're not allowed to use the restroom, so I, I threw up on the way to the restroom and there's no official policy or anything, but they don't like it when I come back.
2: Well, it's not like you're not like banned.
1: No, no, no. My picture's not up. That's like they reserve that for other things at the post office. <laughs> but definitely I like having alternative ways to ship my packages. If you just go to pb.com slash professional to access this special offer, you'll get the free 30-day trial plus the free 10-pound scale to get started. That's pb.com slash professional. Experience the better way to ship with a free trial of SendPro online from Pitney Bowes. Cheerio to my curiosity crew. I am Diana Kander and you are listening to Professional AF. This show follows my journey of self-improvement. I started with a list of 49 different things that I wanted to improve about myself and each week I talk to an expert to learn about what I don't know. And hopefully the lessons that I'm learning each week can help you too. Whether you're going through a big career transition or feeling stuck or just committed to lifelong growth, this show is gonna give you valuable insights. If you enjoyed this episode, please, please take a second to review the show. Make sure you're subscribed and then share it with your friends and coworkers. These episodes are meant to be a point of discussion. So don't be selfish. Share it with somebody who needs to hear it. And what a big week for takeaways. This week, I sat down with Sally Helgeson. Sally is one of the premier experts on women's leadership. She's been a best-selling author, speaker, and leadership coach for 30 years. Her mission has always been to help women recognize, articulate, and act on their greatest strengths. Her latest book is called How Women Rise, and it explains how the behaviors that served you so well at the beginning of your career, the ones that got you promoted, are many times the same behaviors that are gonna keep you from getting those big leadership positions. Basically, what got you here is not gonna get you there. Today, Sally's gonna share how to overcome your reluctance to claim your achievements, why you're overvaluing your expertise to your own detriment, why you shouldn't just expect others to notice and reward your work, and what you should do instead. How not to fall into the perfection trap and why you can't make behavior change by yourself, the secret ingredient you need to really make new behaviors stick. Whether you're traveling by plane, train, or car today, walking your dog, or doing the dishes, get a pen handy because you're going to hear some powerful advice on this episode of Professional AF. Sally, to me, the summary of your latest book is basically whatever got you to this point in your career is not enough to get you to the next part of your career. Mm -hmm. And and that it actually takes a very different set of skills to make it at the beginning when you're just starting out at work and then a new set of skills to start moving up the leadership ranks. Is that right?
0: I think that's right, except I would say the skills that got you where you are may not get you to where you're going, but you may be unaware of that because You have evidence that the skills that have gotten you here are responsible for your success. So it can be hard to reevaluate as you go forward that those skills may not exactly uh, propel you to where you want to go in the future. Yes.
1: I think that's a great point that, you know, of course you think that this has been the cause of your success so far. And it's so hard to, to say, oh, maybe these things aren't working for me any longer that's exactly right
0: and because you you know we get invested in what ha- what brings us good results but often uh the behaviors and habits that are responsible for our success you know in the first part of our career are not the ones that are going to really position us most effectively uh, for leadership and so if we have a desire to fulfill our greatest potential and i'm not just talking about positional leadership here i mean but really influencing, influencing and, uh, you know, exerting our uh, thoughts and actions on other people in a way that's going to be positive for our own career and for the organization. If we have that desire, um, then we may need to take a look at and how well that's going to serve us going forward.
1: And you focus the book on 12 habits that women need to change to start moving up or to continue moving up the ranks and I become obsessed with habits as kind of the defining metric of of culture Uh, I've been spending a lot of time on that and so it's really interesting to see a thought leader like yourself really focusing on habits so tell me how you came to believe that the key to achieving what you want is focusing on your habits as opposed to your beliefs
0: yes Uh, Beliefs are, you know, what motivate you internally, but they're not how other people see you in the world. They're not what is perceived. And there can be uh, a a point where your beliefs are not really translating as you intend them to. And I think the most uh, effective thing you can do is to focus on your behaviors with an awareness of how those will be perceived um, and try to make tweaks to those if they are uh, habits or behaviors that may hold you back in, in, in the future. One thing I want to make clear here is that uh, the book focuses on, as you know, uh, the, fa- the 12 habits most likely to get in the way of successful women as they seek to rise. And in focusing on those I am not, nor is my co-author, Marshall Goldsmith, uh, we're not blaming women for when they don't necessarily rise. We both recognize that there are cultural and structural uh, issues in organizations that really can conspire to hold women back from achieving uh, their highest potential. However, for most of us, especially in the first half of our career, before we reach the top, we're not going to have much influence over changing the culture and structure of the organization. So looking at what lies within our control is what we can do to make it more likely that we'll position ourselves to have an influence over the culture and structure. So that's why why I thought focusing on habits and behaviors would be so useful because Your own habits and behaviors are within your control. So if you become aware that something is either is getting in your way or has the potential to get in your way, given where you want to go, you have the capacity uh, to begin to change that.
1: Yes. And and most people, when they think about habits, they think about habits they want to start doing, but they rarely think about habits that they need to stop.
0: Exactly. And we cannot start new habits until we begin to break habits that we may have uh, that hold us back. So it's on one hand, we want to stop habits that may be a problem. And we want to, as I say, tweak those behaviors or begin practicing more effective habits and behaviors. But we can't do that until, first of all, we can identify what it is getting in our way, which is a kind of diagnostic process, but also until we have a, a template or a design for beginning to substitute, to beginning for beginning to break bad habits and substitute more effective habits.
1: I love this Peter Drucker quote from the book, we spend a lot of time teaching leaders what to do, but we don't spend nearly enough time teaching them what to stop. So this isn't part of leadership training at any organization. Is that right? That's
0: exactly right. And, you know, it's so interesting. I, I do. I've been doing seminars and workshops mostly for women leaders or for organizations around uh, uh, adopting a more inclusive leadership style. I've been doing this for about 30 years. And often before an event, the client will say to me, you know, what we really want is three new things for people to do on Monday morning. And I always think, (laughs) you know what, you people don't need three more things to do Monday morning. They've already got a full list. What they need to do, what, what most likely they need is to stop spending time on things that don't really serve them or serve the organization. And we rarely get encouragement to do that. One of the ideas in the book that's gotten the most resonance um, that I've heard from from people who've read it, who, who've read it uh, is we have a to-don't list in there as opposed to a to-do list. And, and people really like that. So, you know, that's just another tool for beginning to tweak some of the behaviors that can, can be problematic for you.
1: Well, I found myself nodding along to so many of these habits that should be on my to-don't Uh list. And so I'm excited to have you here to help me work through some of the issues that have been holding me back. I feel like the first one that I want to talk about is the reluctance to claim your achievements. And you point out that being part of a team and working hard could be a great idea when you're at the bottom, when you're first starting out, but it is going to stop serving you as you seek to move up.
0: Well, it's not so much that being part of a team is going to stop serving you. It's that, that, that particularly with women, women place a high premium on loyalty, which is a very, very good thing, not advocating by any stretch that loyalty is not important. But what women will often do out of generosity or uh, a, a real recognition that a team has played an important role in, in something she's done is, is constantly over credit for what she has contributed. Uh, somebody will say, oh, you really did a good job on that. Oh, it was my team. Or I couldn't have done it without so-and-so. Or, you know, citing, sort of sloughing it off on someone else. And the, the, the issue with this is, you know, and so when you'll, you'll, you know, if I'm coaching someone and I ask them about it, they'll say, well, you know, it really was a team effort. Of course it was a team effort, but it's not an either-or you can say thank you i'm i'm glad that you recognize that i had a real challenge doing x y and z and my team was essential so you can you can claim your achievements you can accept credit uh, for what you've done without that being something you take away from the team so one of the things i really urge uh women to do who who fall into this behavior is to find a way to accept and acknowledge credit, to claim your achievements in a way that, you know, that's realistic, that, uh, that, that does acknowledge that, um, that others have been useful uh, in terms of what you've achieved, but also makes clear what you've done. Because otherwise, when, and it's also, you know, when you think about it, you're contradicting someone. If somebody says, boy, Diana, you did a great job on that, podcast and you say, well, you know, I couldn't have done it without my engineer and -and so-and-so prepared the (laughs) notes and blah, blah, blah. In a way, you're contradicting them. In a way, you're telling them, you know, you have the wrong impression. I I deserve no credit at all for this. So it's not actually a very gracious way to respond.
1: So why are women worse about this than men?
0: Well, um, I think it's because it's two things. First of all, you know, all every one of the habits, every one of the twelve habits in this book, whether it's reluctance to claim your achievements, overvaluing expertise, uh, putting your job before your career, perfection trap, every one of these habits is rooted in a real strength, and it's often rooted in the desire that many women have. Um, to you know kind of not hog the credit and make sure other people get acknowledged. So it it can be a kind of generosity uh, or that that can inspire uh a behavior like this. But it also is um I, I think that women feel reluctant at times uh to you know toot their own horn, as they would say. Uh, because they feel that women who do that are judged differently. And in fact, they may be judged differently, but if we don't do it, we're never going to learn to do it. People aren't going to get comfortable with the fact that we've done that.
1: The next habit I nodded along to was expecting others to spontaneously notice and reward your contributions. It's related to the first one we discussed, but it's, it's very different. Tell me about this one.
0: Yeah, it's very different because on one hand, when you don't want to claim your achievements, you often don't claim your achievements because you believe other people will notice them or should notice them. I became aware of how prevalent this was some years ago when I did a series of interviews, a study for some professional services firms, and I was interviewing women were partners? Law partners, accounting, consulting, investment banking. And one of the questions I asked this wide range of partners over quite a number of organizations was, "What what do you think is is the greatest um, the greatest contribution, uh, the greatest talent that the younger women coming up who have the potential to be partner? What is their what is their greatest strength?" And what is their greatest challenge? And on that question, the answers were very consistent. The greatest strength, the woman said, was they do A-plus quality work. They're very conscientious. They really show up and work very, very hard. Um, the biggest challenge they have is getting known for their work. They said they're they're reluctant uh, to to. come up with a plan for getting known about, uh, for getting especially higher up people to recognize what they're contributing. And and that really costs them. And when I would ask the women who were coming up, are you good at this? Are you good at getting visibility, especially from the senior leaders in your organization for what you do? They would say, no. Uh, Okay, why not? Why don't you do this? Why aren't you more invested in recognizing that visibility is a key component of a successful career? A, a, a successful career really has three legs. One is, you know, your, your, uh, the, your talent and how you use it. Uh, the other is how visible you manage to make yourself. And, of course, the third is the connections and relationships you build. But the women were really backing off from the visib- visibility part. And what I would hear from them were usually one of two things. Well, if I have to act like that jerk down the hall to get noticed around here, no thank you. Or, um, well, I believe that if I do good work, people should notice. And both of these, the first is really an either or that doesn't exist. You know, you have to find a middle ground. It's not either you like the most obnoxious person in the company, constantly bragging about himself, or you just be quiet. That's a false either or. You can find a path through that. And the second one, I don't know, people should notice, well, they probably should, but guess what? They usually don't. They're busy. So you need to have, you know, again, a plan for drawing visibility to what you contribute. And um, and that, that that's really, almost can't emphasize how important that is. We can't go in assuming people will understand that the hard work we're doing is, you know, to position ourselves for this next job unless we really talk about that and mention that that's what we're doing.
1: I think about this a lot as a person trying to create thought leadership that you can't really be thought of as a thought leader if you're not putting thoughts out there. Like if nobody, (laughs) if you're not writing articles, if you're not making videos... How are people supposed to know that you're the expert in these areas? Right?
0: Exactly. And, uh, you know, visibility. I mean, visibility is a hard, very hard in the situation you're describing, you know, where we're just out there in the world trying to create some <laughs> in ideas the wind. and some content as a writer, as a speaker. Uh, visibility is very tough uh, to do there. And it's best done, obviously, through connections and colleagues.
1: Support for professional AF comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website.
2: You know, the people who listen to this podcast have never heard the story of why you're not allowed to make websites.
1: (laughs) That's not a story. You're just trying to do the thing from the last ad.
2: I'm running out of ideas.
1: You just choose a template that you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way that you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools. That can get you found on Google.
2: And don't skimp on domain names. Like don't just get the com. Like somebody's gonna imitate you, it's not good. Like just go get them all.
1: Like dot pirate. Is that a thing? Dot guru. That's definitely a thing.
2: If it's not, we should get it right now. <laughs> Diana
1: Cander dot pirate. Mm-hmm. Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website. Create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's w i slash professional AF to get 10% off. I developed this formula that I have actually yet to follow all the way, but it's a goal to spend at least 25% of the time that I spent creating the work, whatever it is, I, on distribution, on letting people know about it. Does that kind of translate to to a corporation inside of an office to spend, you know, dedicate a portion of your time to meet others and, and get to know them and let them know the projects that you've been working on? I think
0: that's essential. And I think that's a, a plan that everybody can benefit from. Um, because you've got to bring visibility or notice to what you do. And I often see, you know, I'll often hear from women who say, you know, I, I can't believe it. I, I did so much a better job than, than you know, often it's a, um, a guy. You know, I, I really was better at my job than him. And he got promoted or he got made partner. I don't understand it. It must be an old boys network. Maybe it is an old boys network. I'm not saying that but it may also have been that he was working from day one to get noticed and recognized for what he was doing. And you weren't, you need to ask yourself that question.
1: I love the advice that you gave here to create an elevator pitch. And it's so different than any other elevator pitch that I've heard, but it's, it's half what you do today and then half where you're trying to go.
0: That's exactly right. And I, and I work with this in my workshops all the time. And, uh, And the best kind of of elevator pitch, or I call it an intention statement, is if somebody says, well, what are you doing here? And you say, well, this is what I'm doing, and this is what I I want to do. Because it's really helpful um, because that person, you know, say you get in the elevator with some very senior person in the organization. When you tell them what you intend to do, then they're going to keep you in mind for that. Uh, and they may not have thought of you, so it it really is uh, using that as an opportunity uh, to be strategic rather than just exchange information.
1: Will you give me feedback on my statement? I wrote one.
0: Okay. Yes. I of course I will. You 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 have to understand. Every time I open up my laptop, I get like five or six intention statements <laughs> from people who want me to vet them. Okay. Have at it.
1: Well, now I have you. I have your undivided attention. Yeah. So. Okay, I am an innovation speaker and consultant, and I'm trying to help at least one million people achieve significant personal and professional growth.
0: It's fantastic, except it needs a buy. You need to say how you're doing that in the most concise way possible, because if it's a goal that's not tethered to a means to achieve it, it's just a goal. And so that's the only thing I would do. I say it again.
1: so, by changing by recognizing and changing their habits at work,
0: that could be it. whatever, whatever, that whatever, right. however you propose to to impact that million people. But I think you need to articulate how you plan to do that as as you just said, rather than just leaving it as a goal. but if if you're able to do that, then you've got something very, very strong. Now, will you say it again, adding that piece from the beginning?
1: Yeah. Hello, Sally. I am an innovation speaker and consultant, and I'm trying to help at least 1 million people achieve significant personal and professional growth by helping them recognize and change their daily habits. Excellent.
0: Maybe another, you know, a less change is sort of I would use something a little more specific. You know, I I often use tweak because, you know, change your habits is is a tall order. Tweak your habits sounds sounds a little more doable. So that's the word I use. But you may come up with another one that is less, um, you know, I think that these, and your statement's very good. I think the statements always gain as they are less generic so that the language is specific to us and then people will remember it.
1: Okay. By yeah, by turning great. them into Kansas City Royals fans. Like that specific? <laughs> exactly. That's a good...
0: That's very specific and very non-generic. <laughs> you got it. Okay.
1: okay. My favorite quote from the book came from when you discussed the next habit. The next habit is overvaluing your expertise. Yes. And the quote is that trying to master every detail of your job in order to become an expert is a great strategy for keeping the job that you currently have.
0: That's exactly right. Because what you're doing is you're showing you are exactly suited for the job you have. And by the way, if you become really expert at it, you may become indispensable to your boss and to the other people around you. You know, I was talking about this behavior about two months ago, at a law firm in Atlanta, and this woman came up to me afterwards, and she said, you know, this really helps me understand something in my career that has bothered me for a long time. She said, I set out here, she was a, a lawyer, she said, I set out with the goal of learning to write the best legal brief in the world. She said, that was my goal. Sounds pretty immodest, but I felt I was really good at writing briefs. She said, so I worked on that She said, I spent 14 years developing my skill in terms of writing the best legal briefs in the world, and it got me nowhere in my career because all that happened is everybody wanted me on the team writing the briefs. So it is such a perfect example of what can happen when you overvalue expertise and focus too much attention on mastering the skills your job requires rather than, as we talked about before, building the connections and the visibility at the same time that will get you where you want to go.
1: And men don't do this?
0: You know, some men do it. In fact, you know, it's been interesting because as um, I don't view these as women's behaviors. I view them as human behaviors that are the most likely Hold women back. But I will say, of all the behaviors in the book, this one, overvaluing expertise, is the one I have often heard from men, certain men, not CEO types, not top leaders, not top salespeople, but engineers, physicists, accountants, people who work in fields that have real, you know, domain expertise requirements. I've heard from men that they feel stuck in this too, you know, but, but it's, it's interesting. So I think that on one hand that can cause them to under invest in their own visibility and the connections they build when men have this. But one thing I don't see that holds men back with this, with this behavior and there are a couple of others as well um, that holds women back in quite the same way is when you overvalue expertise and focus all your efforts on trying to become a domain expert in whatever your job is at that time, it can often make you reluctant to move to a higher level because you don't feel like you have all the skills and you feel like you have to have all those skills in order to be able to apply for the next job. Uh, so you don't feel like you have all of that yet. Yeah, you know, I was doing a program in Chicago at a great big healthcare company, and this is really funny, uh, This just this, this in March. And um, we had about 300 women, and we were having a very interesting, rich conversation about overvaluing expertise. And I was saying, you know, I hear from internal uh, HR people and outside uh, job search people, search firms, that women will often not feel ready to move on because they feel that they don't have all the skills for the next job, even though how could they have all the skills for the next job? Cause they've never done it. So they said, you know, women will start with something like I've never done X, Y, and Z, but, and and that's sort of the opener. Whereas they said, it's more common to hear men say, you know, I'm, I, I can do, you know, of course I have these qualifications because I've done, you know, Q, Y, and W. And they, you know, sometimes might not even relate, but just this confidence in, you know, of course I can master this is what comes through. So we're talking about this and I was saying, you know, overvaluing expertise. Yes, there are men, especially in domains that require a lot of expertise who fall into this, but they usually, it doesn't make them that hesitant to go after the next position. So the, the the fellow who was head of North American operations at this huge healthcare company raised his hand. He was in the room. He was a champion for the women's network, and he said, "I see this all the time." He said, "I see women who don't feel ready to take on jobs I know they can do because they haven't done everything." He said, "I want to tell them something. The job that I had before this, and that's head of North American uh, operations." He said, the job I had for this, when I applied for it, I got the the sort of specs or the requirements. And I looked at them and I thought, okay, I've got one out of six. I think I'm going to apply for this. I can probably (laughs) get it. He one out of six. He said, and guess what? I got it because I, I knew that I could do those other five even though I hadn't done them before. And I was able to explain why he said. And what I saw was women who were as qualified as I were, as I was, who said, well, I don't have the qualifications for that job. So that's another way that this overvaluing expertise can really, really get in women's way.
1: Yeah, I like to tell women that I have been highly unqualified for almost everything I've ever done professionally. (laughs) That's good.
0: That's that's a good message, because we get over-invested in what our qualifications are. And and when we do that, uh, on one hand, it can really keep us stuck and, and hold us back from achieving what our full potential really is, what we could be contributing to the world. Um, but also we can, you know, again, this happens where we can see people scoot right by us who are no more qualified than we are. And that can get discouraging and, and make us feeling uh, feel detached as if, you know, well, maybe I really don't belong here if my skills aren't valued. And it's just really that we have not been, on one hand, courting visibility. And uh, on the other hand, we have been, you know, focusing too much attention on the details.
1: Sally, besides the ones that I've mentioned, which habits have you heard from readers resonate the most with them?
0: Well, I would say the perfection trap, um, which I believe is habit number seven in the book, and that is believing that anything short of a flawless performance will constitute failure. and this is this is highly problematic. this is This is relatively common for women. I would say this is probably the most toxic behavior at a leadership or habit at a leadership level. This is most likely to derail a very talented woman who fails to reach the top position um, because of perfectionism, because perfectionism um, has some negative effects. I want to say one thing about the cause, because people often say, well, is this because girls are expected to be, you know, little miss perfect and boys, you know, there's more leeway given to boys sort of acting up? I don't know. Uh, what that is. But I do know one thing that research demonstrates that in organizations, women tend to be rewarded and promoted based on precision and correctness. And men tend to be rewarded and promoted based on the perception that they've got a big picture vision uh, for where the organization should go, uh, based on their connections uh, that they've built, and based on their visibility. So women and men tend to be rewarded for very different things. So it's not surprising that since they've been rewarded in the past for being precise and correct, women would fall into trying to be perfectionistic in their work. Um, but it's really, really problematic at higher levels. Even though this is this is kind of the classic "what got you here won't get you there" behavior because. Being precise and correct can take you to a certain level very effectively. But above that, it's going to get in your way for a couple of reasons. First of all, if you're always trying to do things perfectly, you can become risk averse. And that's not, um, you know, leaders really know, need to know how to evaluate and take measured risks. So that's important. It can make you very um, reluctant to delegate because you don't trust other people will do it perfectly. So often when you hear people say, well, you know, it's easier to just do everything myself than, than ask my staff to do it or ask the people who are supposed to be doing those jobs because they don't quite get it right, um, that's usually a perfectionist talking, and that becomes very unsustainable at higher levels where you have a big scope, lots of authority, lots of, uh, lots of people that you need to delegate. Two, delegation is' a, is a is a really necessary skill for for a leader. But the other thing is it creates a lot of stress. Anyone who's perfectionistic creates stress for themselves and they also create stress for the people around them. and that's that's really likely to trip you up at a high level. You know I've heard that a lot where a woman is scouted for something and and people say, "You know she's so talented, she's so good at what she does." She's so dedicated and works so hard, but she's really difficult to work for because her expectations of herself translate to other people. Um, and, and that can really get in your way at, at a higher level. Uh, people want someone who, who faces well to the public and who is able to motivate and inspire and really set the tone. And perfectionism does not indicate any of those.
1: Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, and a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash Diana.
2: It's very handy if, like, your ad-reading partner is just fresh out of ideas.
1: <laughs> We're like, fresh out.
2: And you're just like, I need to get a new—I mean, you know, when you've been reading ads, that are the same. Like, you These advertisers
1: love our show.
2: Absolutely. They can't get
1: enough professional AF.
2: I'm just running out of ways to be slightly humorous. and uh,
1: (laughs) You think I should use ZipRecruiter.com slash Diana to find a new ad reading partner?
2: I mean, I'm willing to take on the responsibility of finding my replacement.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can I outsource that to you?
2: I I hear ZipRecruiter is very easy to use.
1: Well, ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply for your job or to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day.
2: And that fifth one just ends up with me reading ad (laughs) copy.
1: That's how you got this job. Also, we're married, so it's a little bit of nepotism in the application process. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Diana. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Diana, D-I-A-N-A. ZipRecruiter.com slash Diana, the smartest way to hire. I have to tell you all about my amazing bra from Third Love. It fits perfectly and it's so comfortable. Sometimes I forget that I'm even wearing it.
2: I have many good banter things to say, but it's it's a minefield. I'm just out.
1: This ad, you don't want to ask me about that one time where I had the incident where I'm no longer something, something bra.
2: Can't even keep that joke going. <laughs> just gonna Just going to step back and let you do your work.
1: Third Love uses data points generated by millions of women who have taken their Fit Finder quiz to design bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel. Answer a few simple questions to find your perfect fit in 60 seconds. Over 12 million women have taken the quiz to date. Every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. And if you don't love it, return it and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. Fit stylists are available every day to help via text, chat, or phone. I talked to one via text message and it was the most awesome experience to have an interaction with a retail brand over text message. It was so cool. The newest member to the Third Love family is their new line of incredibly soft, smooth, and breathable cotton bras. Third Love knows that there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Just go to thirdlove.com/diana now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com/diana for 15% off today. Being aware of these problems is is valuable for all of them. And as G.I. Joe said, you know, knowing is half the battle. So let's talk about the other half of the battle, which is how do we actually change these ingrained things about ourselves that are deeply, deeply rooted? Yeah. You know, uh,
0: there are a a number of habits here that are less deeply rooted. So what I, you know, for example, the communication habits around minimizing or offering too much information, too much background, too many details, too many words, some of those are the easier ones. So what I always say is, you know, there's, there's kind of a four-step process for uh, changing behaviors. Again, research shows is effective. First, you want to start with one thing. I often have people come up and say, I have nine of these behaviors, so I have no idea where to start. <laughs> Start with whatever is easiest. Start with the behavior or even a small part of a behavior that is going to be easiest. As I said, the communication behaviors are very problematic but tend to be less deeply rooted. So say you realize you could benefit from being more concise in your presentations, more prepared and more concise. you can just focus on I'm going to be more concise when I present, you know, in this weekly meeting. You can start there with a goal that's really small and achievable that will get you moving in other ways. So you don't want to start with something that's too big, too complex, too hard, too deeply rooted. You want to get the process going. But then number st- uh, step two. And this is the most important thing, I believe, in the entire book, is that you need to enlist other people in helping you change. The research shows Marshall and a a business partner of his uh, did a 800,000-person study about who was most likely to achieve positive long-term and sustainable positive behavioral change. And what they found is that the people who were able to do so all had one thing in common, and that is they did not do it alone. So they worked with someone else. They worked with a coach. They worked with a peer. They worked with a peer coach. They engaged people around them. Let them know, hey, I'm working on this. If you notice me backsliding or if you have any tips for how you think I could get better at it, please let me know. So say, for example, you've committed to be more concise and more prepared uh, when you present in a certain meeting. There are a couple of things you can do. You can uh, say to a couple of people beforehand, you know, I'm really working on getting more concise in my presentations. Could you watch me in this meeting and give me some feedback? Let me know if there's anything you think I could do in the future that would be more effective. So in other words, you're asking for future feedback. You're not asking for, you know, please tell me everything I did wrong. You're just putting it in a positive frame. Could you let me know if there's anything you think I could do more effectively in the future? Or you could go to somebody who's very good at uh, presenting in a concise and powerful way and say, you know, I'm trying to get better at being more concise in my presentations. Um, You're really good at that. Do you have any advice? Is there anything you do in terms of presentation or getting ready that you think that I could adapt? So you're really soliciting soliciting lots of ideas. You're implicitly planting support in the room for what you're doing. But thirdly, and this is really important, you're advertising what you're doing, which means that people are much more likely to notice That you're getting better at something than they would if they didn't know.
1: I believe in this concept so much. And I actually have a formula for me. The more ambitious something I'm trying to achieve, the more people I have to tell about it. So now I have this podcast because I have a list of 49 different things I want to work on about myself. And I'm sharing it with thousands of people each week to hold me accountable. Right. I have a newsletter that I send out when I where I set annual goals just so that everybody on the street that I run into will say, hey, how's that thing going so that they will shame me into continue to work on it.
0: That's really powerful. I work with a peer coach um, and and so and we do it every single day. You know, what what are we working on this month? And then we hold each other to account. I think what you're talking about is really powerful. You know, it loosens us up in terms gets us more comfortable and we're really leveraging other people in our own development which is powerful.
1: So I've read research that shows that if you share a goal with somebody that you're trying to reach, you're 65% likely to reach that goal if that person is somebody that you care about, but if you have a regularly scheduled check-in with them to to talk about how you're doing, you are 95% likely to reach your goal.
0: Yes, I can believe that because I, as I said, I've been working with a peer coach now for nine years on a daily basis. And we just set what our goals are and hold each other uh, to account. And we've been able to achieve extraordinary uh, progress on, in every phase of our lives. So, you know, people will often say, well, I don't have a coach. You don't need a coach. You can enlist someone as a peer coach. You can enlist. People, you know, just going into a meeting, as, as I was describing before, uh, as accountability partners, um, you know, in a, in a casual, one-time way.
1: They can go to the podcast insiders group for this podcast and find an accountability coach, somebody who has also heard these episodes and wants to work on the exact same things and will be their new, new friend.
0: What a great idea. That's a, that's a very <laughs> valuable resource. Very valuable.
1: That was number two. What's
0: step three? So step three, and this is really important for women, um, is let go of judgment about yourself uh, 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 in regard to these behaviors. You know, I hear people say, you know, I've got nine bad behaviors. These are not bad behaviors. These are the behaviors that got you here. Um, So it's really important not to judge yourself harshly to judge your progress harshly you want to really be your own cheerleader and you want to forgive yourself when you make mistakes um, it's been really helpful to me because I you know had a lot of perfection have had a lot of perfectionism and overvaluing of expertise myself working with someone like Marshall who's really really gives himself a break at, to an extent that I had rarely seen with someone and Uh, In the book, I talk about being in his apartment and him getting a call from his assistant. He almost never took a call when we were working, and he got this one call. It was a special ring, and I heard him on the phone. He said, oh, I forgot to call Dr. Kim. I was supposed to call him at 2 o'clock. Okay, oh, well, and he hung up, and I'm sitting there thinking, (laughs) oh, my God. I know who Dr. Kim is. He's the CEO of the World Bank. And I was thinking how I would be feeling, how I would be feeling. if I'm feeling uncomfortable
1: about it, and I wasn't involved.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And here he was going, oh, well. And so it was such a perfect example of someone, you know, who was able to kind of let the fact that none of us is perfect, that we're all working on something, that we're all works in progress, just slide off his back. He said to me, and it really made an impression, he said, you know, in 30 years of coaching, he had never worked with a woman, whether a Congressional Medal of Honor winner, or, you know, general in the U.S. Army, CEO, who at some point he hadn't it had to say, please don't be so hard on yourself. So that's really important.
1: I love it. And step four.
0: Step four is just, again, recognizing that the behavior that maybe getting in your way is also something that served you. So it's not a bad behavior. It's something that has been useful to you, but may need questioning if you want to, to get where you're going. So it's not a bad behavior. It's part of who you are um, and that it's usually rooted in loyalty or modesty or the desire to see other people succeed uh, or the desire to do a really great job or the desire To show up for other people. So recognize that and don't label it bad. Label it as, you know, something that needs to be expanded now.
1: Sally, as somebody who tries to change the behavior of others for a living, I am always curious. What do you think is the moment, you know, I believe you can't change people, but they are capable of incredible change. So how do you think about flipping that switch inside of them?
0: I think that that giving them an idea of how they might approach it is how you flip that switch. And I agree with you. No one can change someone else. We can only change ourselves. We have to be motivated. We have to be inspired. We have to see the value uh, that could be in our lives if we made certain changes. But we have to we have to buy that. And you can't you can't enforce that on someone else. Um, so I think that feeling like there's, you know, there are a couple simple practical tools that I could use that could make a difference rather than, you know, I don't know where to start on that or, or, you know, saying, well, that's just how I am. That's who I am. That's, you know, that's my nature. Um, no, here are a couple of tools, give them a try, see if it helps. Um, and, and then the, the other part, the part we talked about, you know, of engaging an accountability partner and the encouragement to do that. I think that, that has a real impact.
1: Sally, it's been such an honor to get to speak with you and learn more about your research and your work. Do you have any final thoughts to impart on our listeners? I just
0: think that, uh, you know, to to recognize that it's really important for women to recognize, first of all, we're at an extraordinary moment in our history and particularly our history in terms of our potential for leaders. I see more support for that in organizations than I've ever seen by an exponential amount. I also see women as having more confidence in themselves and much more solidarity with one another. And I've been watching this, as I said, up close and personal for 30 years. So I think it's an extraordinary time. And I think we wanna prepare ourselves uh, to really be able to step up and, and make a huge difference in the way that we want to make a huge difference. And that looking at habits and behaviors that may get in our way is a big part of that.
1: Sally, thank you so, so much for your time.
0: I really enjoyed it, Diana, and I, 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 I love your ideas and your your proactive approach yourself.
1: What an awesome conversation that was. I'm still working on my intention statement. It's just such a powerful way to introduce yourself, that combination of where you currently are and where you want to go i've never thought about it like that and i'm going to post my revised intention statement in our private facebook group for the show it's called professional af podcast insiders and it's full of professionals a lot like you who are always interested in growing themselves and meeting like-minded others who are going to help them and cheer them on in their journey so come join the group i'd love to hear your intention statement too And please don't forget to review the show online. Every time somebody submits a review, I immediately attempt a handstand. It's my 2019 physical goal. I mean, it was also the 2018 physical goal, but you know, some goals take longer than others. And I did a lot of handstands last week, thanks to your reviews, and hope to get even more practice in this week. So please help me get the practice that I need. I am Diana Kander with your weekly reminder that curiosity is your superpower. Asking better questions will always get you better results. I'll talk to you next week.